Hey, Robbie. Good morning, Ernie. How are you doing? Doing good. Some of the dial apps didn't work. I don't know if I misconfigured it or what. Well, it may have been that it was already past the scheduled time, so it didn't auto-dial. So I thought I had scheduled it for 8 a.m. this morning, and somehow it didn't call out then. Although it worked out fine because I was driving my son to work, and we had a deep conversation about uh, education and brainwashing and conditioning, and so that was fun. Great. Well, I was in a call with movement leaders in India until just when you texted, so the timing uh, is good. Huh. So how did the uh, cruciformation, uh, the cruciform life call go on Saturday? Um, there were some helpful conceptual things, but I found it far less practical than, uh, and I, I didn't really absorb anything that has stuck uh, compared with what we'd already received from the conversation you recorded with Jamie and a couple others that I've seen since then. Um, this was this presentation was uh, more abstract and uh, uh, still um, very much aligned, I think, with things we've talked about. But I didn't pick up anything new. Yeah, that's what I was. I thought that might happen, which is why I wasn't uh, uh, eager to set aside time for that. Um, this is kind of my general I'm thing. Curious. I was listening to um, on a well, I'm curious. I'm curious what. I'm curious what prompt what, what prompted you to suspect that that might happen. In general, I am cynical about lectures. I uh, got it. Yep, yep. Right. I mean, I think the other like there was a great movement thing where people were talking about all these amazing uh, you know church planning movements and, and hybrids and said, yeah, we're really trying to get away from the talking head model of people showing up and listening to a lecture. Right. And I wrote back like you know hey I love the content. But it'd be nice if next time we could do something other than a bunch of talking heads giving a lecture, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Um, yeah. This was actually, uh, I guess, kind of my almost my falling out with Bill Breck from the Great Reset. I don't think it's a true falling out, but right. he would yeah. uh, occasionally text me things where he was complaining about uh, the, what's wrong with the church, and he uh -huh. said like, "Well, yeah, like all they do is lecture, lecture, lecture. Like I just think the lecture right. model is totally broken." And I said, "Um." then why are you lecturing me about what's wrong with the lecture model? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, and, you know, of course, I'm lecturing him back, which probably was why it wasn't so constructive. But <laughs> this is yeah. my, um, um, you know, well, these calls at least were actually, and like our call with Jamie was really a dialogue. Like he was sharing right. things, but it was very right. much interactive, responsive dynamic. And, yep. you know, I think there's a place, for dialogues like this, although mm -hmm. even then, um, I, uh, I I'm almost equally cynical about panel discussions uh -huh. because panel discussions, at least in my industry, tend to be vendors who are trying to sell you something, and mm. not, mm -hmm. which is not quite the same as answering the needs and questions of the audience, right? I'm much happier with this sort of um, Q&A, uh, the ranked Q&A format. I think Lido, I think, is the app that people use, where the audience gets to write down their questions and then vote on which questions they want answered. So what's the technology you mentioned? I think it's called Slido. 
So I think there may be a feature in Google Slides for it now. Um, you, I think we may have created just for one of our S-L-I-D-O. Okay, got it. I think we tried this for one great reset, and then people ended up trying to game the system just because they could. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, the idea is that you know this is actually kind of a general critique I have of Western civilization, is that um, there's a big debate in philosophy about what they call the principal agent problem, which is if I hire someone to do something like a real estate agent, you know, uh -huh. then they have incentives which are not quite aligned with mine. And right. so I can trust them, but only up to a point. And yep. so there's a lot of philosophical discussion about that, but I've not seen nearly the same discussion around the uh, producer-consumer distinction. Hmm. Is that when you consume something, you're uh, kind of at the mercy of the producer. And if there's a monopoly, of course, you're stuck with what that one producer is willing to give you at the price they're willing to give it to you. And we understand that like we like competition. But even in a market, there's still a mindset of production that if you want to consume it, you're kind of stuck with what the producers offer. Like, you know, in the olden days, there was one church, right? And mm -hmm. if you wanted religion, you went to the Catholic church in your town and that was it. Which right. had some advantages in terms of unity and community. But, you know, the there was no competition. And so the only spirituality on offer was basically that offered by the Catholic Church in a few different versions, like, you know, the laity and the clergy and the monastic movements and so forth. But even today, you know, if people want a church-like experience, you're pretty much, uh, the options are basically an institutional church or a house church. Mm -hmm. And the, um, you know, and, and, you know, the efforts to, like, you know, our, like uh, Cowboy Tim and uh, the hybrid church workshop that we attended and, uh, you know, all that, like, the people are trying to innovate on the fringes in some interesting mm -hmm. ways, which is uh, exciting, but also frustrating, because mm -hmm. the cultural pressure, is, is there's a sort of almost codependent relationship between the producers and consumers. Yeah. They want it to, is that if you are close to something that looks like a traditional church, people will really want it to be a, a traditional church, and you have only so much um, energy points you can spend to be different than that. Right. And, you know, so it's funny. Uh, I'm actually having a, a similar problem at my day job where I'm in mm. IT. And, um, uh, uh, you probably find this amusing, I think, is that um, my boss has been getting a lot of pressure about the fact that our reports are broken. And mm. he's been getting all this grief from management. He's been, like, for the most part, really trying hard to isolate me from it. But he was getting really frustrated. So we had a meeting. He said, look, I feel like our reports are broken. I said, what do you mean? And, like, we dug into it. It's like, and I texted him this morning and said, look, the reports are not broken. Our business is broken. And people are yelling at us because our reports are showing that. Mm. And it's like, you know, they want us to fix it, but we don't want to become responsible for everything in the business that goes wrong. You know, where right. we fix, we don't want to, and actually this is the thing, 
we don't want to be on the hook to fix everything. But the reality is we have to be responsible. And uh-huh. it's our job to escalate and apply pressure in the best way at the best place so that the people whose job it is to fix it um, are uh, uh, equipped and inspired to fix it. Mm-hmm. And it occurs to me that's kind of like what we're trying to do. Uh, uh, in fact, I say, and on another note, I've been having some really good conversations with my dad uh-huh. about um, my um, my family. I think I mentioned this on the uh, Great Reset, so it's not really a secret. It's concerned about my mental stability. Uh-huh. And I've been going through treatment for um, hypomania on and off for the last five years. Mm-hmm. And just last week, I met a psychologist who actually gave me a formal assessment and determined that I'm not type, I'm not manic depressive, either type one or type two, uh, at oh, least okay. according to his formal assessment, which I would think would be more credible than all the informal assessments I've gotten prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, on the other hand, he, he did diagnose me with some psychological issues, which didn't seem to uh, around anger, which. Uh, clearly, I am angry a lot, and I do not mm-hmm. uh, deny that, uh, but mm. I'm trying very hard to process and manage that in a healthy and constructive way, uh-huh. uh, and I can certainly use help with that, um, but the symptoms he was describing where I had lots of angry outbursts and I push people away because I don't want them to get close to me, that doesn't match my perception of yeah. what my issues are, um, right. and so I shared that with my dad. And he agreed that, you know, that doesn't seem to describe the issue. So I said, okay, this is a great chance for me to ask you, what do you think my issues are? Mm -hmm. And so he wrote me a beautiful letter, which uh, was painful for him to write because he thought it would hurt me. But like all the things he said were things I thought or suspected. There was no Mm -hmm. surprises. But the interesting thing, and thanks for letting me ramble, is that he said, well, the concern I have, Ernie, is that you seem to think that other people have all these issues and that, um, you know, these need to be fixed before anything can get better. And, you know, you can't just accept people as they are. Hmm. And I said, well, you know, um, help me understand this because it feels like you think I have all these issues and the things can't be fixed until I get better. And that's why you can't accept me as I am. And am I misunderstanding mm-hmm. that? But, you know, it's a, uh, and, you know, it's, it's an honest mm-hmm. question because, uh, like, I think he has issues. I think I have issues. Um, right. And there's this tension between accepting people as they are yep. and wanting them to be healthy so they can get what they want. Right. And I don't even know if I have a clear understanding of how God uh, reconciles those two, those two things with me. Right? Because both statements are true. Like, God accepts me as I am, and God wants me to be holy. Right? Right? And uh, we tend to uh, have a weird. I think I talked to you once about the idolatry of motherhood in the church. Possibly I've after lost Mother's Day. That, but yeah, maybe, that yeah, like maybe that was John McClemens I had that conversation with. Okay. But uh, I've commented how, like, on Mother Day, oh, motherhood is this beautiful picture of God's unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm pretty sure that's verging on idolatry. That was actually one of the inner healings I went through. Okay. Which is that you know, the love of Father God is not identical to unconditional mother love. Uh-huh. You know? Because if so, then it would be a natural thing. And yeah. it's not. And, you know, the, you know, traditionally, and this may be an invention of the Enlightenment, I don't know if this is actually psychologically true, but the... The mother is, and there's probably some biological basis for it, right? The mother is unconditional acceptance and the father is conditional acceptance. And that mm-hmm. the mother just accepts you as a swallowing newborn baby and gives you whatever you need uh, to be happy. And the father is sort of looking ahead to where you're going to be in society. And it's his job to um, help you um, learn the, to be to condition you so that you can be successful in society and that's at least the yeah. traditional role and i don't uh-huh. know if that's valid or true but i think it's safe to say both are needed right at yeah. some level we need to be accepted and nurtured and given you know uh, shown value just for who we are and at another level we need to be uh it needs we need to be trained so that when right. we face the challenges that life brings, we are not unprepared. Right. And um, I know that I need to do that, uh, but I am not uh, as good as I would like to be at doing that for either myself or my children. Right. And you know, in some ways, that's really the the thing that I'm trying to do with uh dbj is like i am trying to experience that uh from jesus in community so we can all get better at that Uh and i get angry because um uh i think the thing that makes me the angriest is when people who sincerely want to help me um the producer consumer problem insist on helping me on their terms right which uh i have good reason to believe will not work and could possibly be harmful so what i what i hear you saying is that uh what what makes you angry or one thing that makes you angry is when people uh push you to accept their analysis and the solution that they've based on that analysis. Yeah, and what's triggering is that like they genuinely care and they want right. to be honored uh, and acknowledge the emotional energy and attention and love that is behind that. Um, mm-hmm. But as I said to someone this week is that like, can you allow me to accept your sincerity and disagree with your methodology. Uh-huh. And the um, and the answer is that well, maybe, right? Because the way I interpret that, and by the way, thank you for doing such a great job of active listening, um, is that um, when people see someone they love who is hurting, yeah. they want that pain to go away. Yeah. But sometimes they don't clearly distinguish between solving that person's problem or making myself feel better. Yeah, yeah. Right? 
when I get angry and rant, like, at least I'm being honest, like, I am not saying this, well, I'm primarily doing this because I am feeling this emotion and I need to express it. I am secondarily Uh doing this because I hope that it helps you understand where I'm coming from. Uh Um, But there's a weird sense in which, in some ways, at least if I'm being honestly selfish, it's more authentic than if I'm pretending I'm doing this primarily for your benefit. Uh-huh. Which is, you know, the premise of DBJ, frankly. It's like, I am primarily doing this because I need to know Jesus better, to go closer to yeah. Jesus. And yeah. I'm hoping that I will give you enough benefit out of this that um, you'll be willing to partner with me in that. Yeah. And it is a... Um, um, I guess that is my interpretation, and that and that and that's what I want from people. If people would say, you know, hey, I am frustrated with you, and I um, am in pain, and I would like, you know, I am trying to understand how to relate to this, and can we do this in a way that will help you? Yeah, because the um, and I think we um, almost encourage this in Christendom. Right. Uh, at least in my subculture of it is like if you if something is doing something that bothers you, the norm and you know almost our industry is oh let me come fix you or help you. Yep. yep. As opposed to the confessional, like you know, hey, I'm feeling anxious about the situation. Can we talk through it? And I think maybe right. the reason is is because if we come in the helper posture, uh, which I'm tempted to call the missionary position. Um, it, it kind of sets us up in a position of status and security and authority which hides our shame. It is, it is uh-huh. the opposite of being vulnerable. Uh-huh. And this is a discussion I had with Emiliana about the white privilege or the white man's burden. Uh-huh. Is that uh, what happens is that someone will take pity on her because she is. She is a a uh, black woman, single mother, in a, right. a variety of difficult circumstances. Yeah. And so people genuinely want to help her, but then they yeah. want to help her on their terms, and when she resists that or resents that, they become deeply offended. Right, right. And um, and that does, you know, that triggers all sorts of reactions in her that we're still working through. Um, right. But it's... Um, Oh, anyway, I've been ranting a lot. Thank you so much for listening. Sure. Um, there Do you have any couple, couple quick thoughts? Yeah, a couple yeah. quick thoughts. The, uh, I'm reminded of a song that a friend of mine um, who was a singer in the Jesus movement introduced me to recently. Uh, he loves you. God loves you just the way you are today, but much too much to let you stay that way. And when he's changed your heart from what it was before, he still won't love you one bit more. Uh, so I think there's very good uh, sound theology in that. Uh, the second thing that uh, I mean, it just affirms, I think, what you're saying in terms of how God relates to us. Um, in my own family dynamics, we've seen a dramatic transformation as... Um, I have finally realized it's not my job to do God's job 
in terms of correcting all the people around me and fixing them, the people I love. Um, but to, uh, uh, and as I've stepped back from that, uh, they have stepped back from trying to fix me. And uh, we're in a wonderful new era where um, my, we had a daughter who was estranged and she's recently come back into our lives. And last night she was just hanging out with us. And uh, we, I suggested we do a discovery studies um, using some of the elements we learned and practiced in DBJ. And just had a wonderful evening together. It's uh, it's a, it's a marvelous time in, in our family's life and history. We're asking Jesus to clarify what uh, purpose he has for us as a family to pursue together, like that uh, recording I sent you back about, you know, a family team, a multi-generational right. family team. And uh, yeah. we're groping our way forward in that. And uh, anyway, so we're... I'm, I'm grateful for your prayers and things you've contributed to my life that have helped me get here. Thank you. It's interesting. Uh, my uh, uh, brother-in-law visiting, who mm -hmm. I think by his own admission would describe himself sort of as the black of the family. He's not, you know, religious and going to church the way the rest of us are. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I find myself actually looking forward to spending time with him because in some ways I actually feel... Um, uh, it's it's easier to uh, we haven't I, I want to go out drinking with him sometime just to kind of hang out is because in some ways uh, I I feel more comfortable with him because there's no pressure to agree. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. Because my family, because we're all part of the same churches and same theological tradition, when I disagree yeah. with them, it's uncomfortable for them because they feel yep. the need to identify with me, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And there's um, uh, a um, uh, a weird inverse dynamic that I don't understand. So I'm actually looking forward to. I mean, there are certainly some things I would like to see him experience, but I'm actually sure. more interested in just trying to get his perspective on uh, our dysfunctions rather than vice versa. Because uh -huh. I mean, that's kind of the thing is that, like, you know, I feel like. You know, uh, as I, I have my I have multiple rounds of psychiatry and psychology going on this morning. It's like, look, I think there are real problems in the outside world and in the people I love. But mm -hmm. the best way to help them is for me to get healthier. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the things that the, the thing called the Bowen family systems that my uh, psychologist recommended to me. It started, uh, you'll, you'll, I think you'll appreciate this. He had a very enmeshed family. Uh -huh. And he was a psychiatry student in the 60s. Like, none of the stuff he was learning was of any use in it. So he basically developed his own theory of what was going on. Uh -huh. And everyone was always trying to form alliances. And this was incredibly toxic because it led to secrets and people avoiding things and forming cliques. Mm -hmm. So his radical solution was to uh, de-clickify himself where he basically did the opposite of everything he'd been doing and get everybody mad at him so that uh -huh. no one was on his side trying to make him part of their clique. Uh -huh. And there's this huge family blowout and everyone showed up, including all the people who've been avoiding him, and suddenly it made everything a lot healthier, even though it seemed like a total disaster. Uh -huh. and, uh -huh. and I was kind of wrestling with that and saying, well, you know, I, I'm glad he worked for him, but it just yeah. seems like really manipulative and... Um, 
did it, uh, one, he did it not because he was trying to manipulate them to get what he wanted, but because he was trying to manipulate himself to be healthier, right? To bring mm. himself free of an unhealthy situation. Right. Secondly, the price he paid was to get everyone mad at him. So it's mm-hmm. not like he was doing this to get himself out of trouble. Right. Right. You know? And third, I realized, you know, in some ways, I probably do the same thing, is that I set up uh, gambits or situations um, where I am trying to not force people to behave a certain way, but um, where I am uh, trying to create context where things can come to the surface that I personally have an unhealthy uh, response to, to kind uh-huh. of break my conditioning. Yeah. And there is, like, you know, even though I wouldn't necessarily, I still wouldn't want to have to go the lengths he did, I can acknowledge that, like, given the choice he had, he had to go to the lengths he did to um, break out of that system. And, you know, even Jesus, you know, uh, baiting the Pharisees, for example, Uh is arguably, you know, he's trying to break an unhealthy system. And you have to do things that are provocative. So uh, the, the, the challenge is that I have a personality that enjoys provocation for its own sake. Oh, yeah, okay. And so then I have to figure out how is the authentic, healthy way to do that for the right reasons in the right way. So maybe through my hour and a half of psychotherapy today, I'll gain some better self-awareness to help with that. And maybe I should include this half hour as part of that. So thank you. Sure. All right. Well, the wonder that comes to my mind as you're saying that is um, uh, uh, this may be just the language and terminology, but for me, there's a huge difference now between trying to figure out you that, I mean, whatever it is, and mm-hmm. hearing from Jesus about that, because my uh, awareness, experience, understanding is so limited, and his is so vast, and uh, I'm trying to make a career change from figuring out God's will to hearing Jesus' voice. So when you use that phrase, it triggers that thought for me. I think uh, if if it's true that God loves us too much to let us stay the way we are, even though he loves us 100% as we are, he still loves us too much to leave us that way, then uh, <clears throat> he has a better perspective than I can uh, ever achieve without his direct input. His ways are higher than my ways. So this is foundational to my thinking at this point that I don't know, I mean, I have my assessment of what I've figured out that I need to change, that my wife needs to change, that my son needs to change, but that uh, there's something different and uh, truly better about receiving guidance from the Holy Spirit or hearing from Jesus uh, about that than the figuring out. So if this is irrelevant because I'm picking on terminology issues rather than any underlying reality, I apologize. No, I appreciate your self-awareness and raising that because I think it's a fair wonder. Uh, I wonder if maybe a better term for me to use would be working out. Okay. That's when God, because God says something to me, my experience is that I conceptualize that in terms I understand. 
And that's usually part of the problem is that my vocabulary uh-huh. and uh, uh, sense of what is possible, affordances, I guess is the technical term, right? The things that I'm able to do or see myself as being able to do constrain mm-hmm. and color how I interpret what God says. So when mm-hmm. God says something, there's um, a working out process where I have to reconfigure my concepts and my capabilities so I can actually live out the thing that God is telling me to do. Yeah. And so that's working out of that, which God has said to me, which is a uh, cognitive behavioral practice beyond mm-hmm. just passive listening. Yeah. Uh, an interesting case of that, it seems like, is the passage we chose to study as a family last night. Uh, in Exodus 3 to 4, where God comes to Moses and says, uh, go and lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses says, uh, you know, uh, God says, the elder, elders will believe you. Moses says, what if they don't believe me? And God gives him several miracles to perform. And uh, uh, since he's not getting anywhere with that, Moses switches to, you know, I'm not eloquent of speech. And even though he grew up in Pharaoh's household, um, and finally, you know, just says enough. I'm sending Aaron to you, and uh, you're going to do this. Um, yeah. So uh, conceptually, uh, Moses couldn't see himself doing what God was asking him to do. But from there on, he's the we see him hearing and embracing what God says, and uh, becoming the humblest man on the face of the earth. Um, so. <clears throat> The focus on ourselves rather than on God is a key thing in Moses' story from my perspective. Yeah, I read that as, um, but in some ways, you know, even though it seems like kind of whiny and and uh, self-indulgent of him, I mm-hmm. think actually, given who he was, that was the healthiest possible response because he was actually arguing and interacting with God. It's honesty, and that's what... Keeping his mouth shut. Yeah, Jamie emphasizes this honesty. It's not apology before God. It's honesty with God that uh, creates the context for change. Yeah, so I think there is this um, there's this adaptive dance that goes on with yep. God. We talked about this last time, I thought, which was the idea of a muscle, right, that is uh, that needs to be trained in order uh-huh. that it can conform to the intent of the mind. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a right. good uh, analogy. Right. Yeah, thing. Yeah, is that we um, the brain can say, you know, throw this football over there, right? Um, and the body can be willing, but unless yeah. you've actually developed the muscle and the skill and the practice and the integrated perceptions, you're not going to complete the pass. As I've been, you know, practicing right. with my son, who's the quarterback of a swag football team, and yeah, that yeah. is the thing is. I think maybe so. Yeah, the phrase actually the phrase "working out" uh, yeah. has both of those content connotations, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I think that's a so I, uh, I will try to substitute the phrase "working out" for "figuring out," which I think might also even help me conceptualize it better. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what I need to do, because the there's a um, my favorite author now, Neil Stevenson. He has this character who was raised a Puritan in the 1600s, 
and then kind of uh, as a roommate of Isaac Newton, grown disillusioned in his religious faith and turned his attention to natural philosophy, what we would call science and technology. Uh-huh. And I just read a passage where he kind of admits that he's sort of a fallen vicar, but in attempting to build things, he's almost seeking his redemption that way, of almost uh-huh. trying to find another step back to God by yeah. just trying to build things that help him understand how the world actually works versus all these flawed notions he inherited from his father. And this yeah. thing has come up in several of the author's novels, which I find fascinating. I would desperately love to have a spiritual discussion with him to see uh-huh. if I can help him, you know, reconnect with that heritage in a way that is healthy uh, yeah. as opposed to, because I feel like uh, he is such a great author that this has to have been some resonance deep in his own experience, right. even if it's not literally true. And I honestly do believe that there is this techne. I mean, the way Israel gained the tabernacles was one of the most impressive engineering stories in ancient literature of how mm. all the workmen built all these things and all the detailed blueprints God gave them. And like, mm-hmm. God gave them these blueprints, but they had to figure out a heck of a lot of engineering, right? They got yeah. like an architect diagram, and then they had mm-hmm. just, you know, but then they had to figure out all the, the fastenings and the weight bearing and the logistics and this huge uh, techne of building mm-hmm. this thing out. God's presence. And I feel like that's the thing that, you know, uh, I need to look up the guy's name because that's what I want to do is like, we have this vision of what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. Yeah. And that comes from, that's just hearing it. But we have to figure out how to build it. And he doesn't right. give us all those detailed logistical things like have these 12 people go there. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, I, I wrote a little... Uh, short story about that once about the bronze um there's this verse in numbers i think where it said uh one of the uh the uh the the items was made out of the mirrors of the handmaidens who uh, were serving in the temple right i was just like wait why would this one item not be like just another logistical thing that they managed, but these specific people had to provide, you know, these mirrors to be part of the temple. And that, and uh, I should find that one and send it to you. It's pretty short. Um, but that to me is like a technique question. Like there's some weird working out that had to happen uh, that was certainly divinely inspired, but it was, uh, there was a practical piece of it too, and and that matters to God as well. And in some right. technology, technology really is the working out of what God has told us to do. And it's good to make a study of those techniques so we can get better at it, um, as long as we're clear that this is the handmaiden <laughs> of mm-hmm. the temple, not the thing we worship in itself. Yeah. Uh, I face this. All right. I better go back to my day job and work on my technique there. Let me pray for you. Yeah. Jesus, I just you, thank you for today, by the way, earning. What's that? Are you meeting today with yes. Janet? Yes, yes. I don't know what the passage okay. is, but she has picked one for today. I look okay. forward to it. So, yeah, Lord, I just pray a blessing oh, go ahead. on Janet and Robbie and his family and Kevin's family. Lord, I just thank you for this extraordinary season. And I thank you, Lord, that Janet is carrying this torch while we are uh, focus on our, Robbie and I are focused on our families, as I believe you called mm-hmm. us to, and we were faithful to let go of DBJ 
so that uh, you can do the work that you need. I thank you so much for the restoration. Robbie's already seen with this estranged mm-hmm. daughter and mm-hmm. the transformation in their relationship. Lord, I just want to receive that blessing on my family uh, with mm-hmm. my brother-in-law and the rest of us, really, um, yeah. uh, that you will make the, the mind shift and the techne shift and the heart shift and the spirit shift and the soul shift that mm-hmm. we need to um, be together uh, in you. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Ernie. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Amen. 